It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the first day of the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, actually, I'm, I'm listening to some of these weather forecasts. Uh, there's, it, it, it's very, very nice out here. It's a little bit overcast, but I will tell you the temperature is perfect. Lots of people here. Um, one of the things about the State Fair is even if you do get a little rain, there's lots of indoor places you can go. There's no reason at all to let the weather keep you away from coming out to the State Fair today. Um, very, very pleasant. I had an opportunity to I got here pretty early because I wanted to make sure that I could get to where I was supposed to park and all. And, and I had an opportunity to walk around the grounds. And I, I will tell you, I understand every year everybody is all about, well, what's the new thing they have to eat or the new thing they have to do? And by the way, this Ferris wheel that they're talking about, if you're into Ferris wheels, it looks really cool. Uh, I, okay, I'm more of a traditionalist. What I like is the, the comfort of, of known things. And I had a good chance to walk around the grounds and say, oh, okay, I remember this place and that place. It's one of the great things. You know, year to year, you come out to the State Fair and you see all the traditions. Now, I do admit I'm a little bit surprised. It is 8 now, going on 837. I've been essentially here, and I haven't seen a beer sighting yet. For goodness sakes, I haven't seen a beer sighting in the first 30-some minutes, but I'm sure that will end up changing. We're going to have a lot of reminiscing and do a lot of reminiscing about the State Fair over the course of the next several days. But the bottom line is, if you're coming out to the Wisconsin State Fair, be sure to stop by our broadcast facility and say hi. Okay, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things, things that I think you need to know to discuss at the water cooler or at the gym or with your coworkers or with your friends. Story number one. President Trump wants to actually keep a campaign promise and move legal immigration more towards what he describes as a merit-based system, as opposed to the current system, which involves really family ties. Under the current system, and the estimates are that we issue about one million green cards, legal you know, do- documents that allow you to stay in this country legally. We issue about one million green cards a-, a year. Under the current system, most people who come into this country legally are admitted based on family ties. The way it works now is somebody who's an American citizen can sponsor their spouse, their parents, and their minor children for an unrestricted number of visas. In addition, siblings, your brothers, your sisters, and adult children are given preferences for a limited number of visas that are available. Legal permanent residents, that's people holding green cards, can also sponsor spouses and children. And and that's the way the vast majority of people legally come into this country. They have somebody with a family tie that sponsors them. All right, what Trump wants to do is preserve the family tie link as it applies to spouses or minor children. So, oh, we've got the first beers. All right, you go, girls. Okay, there you go. First beers. First beers, at least the sighting of the day, 839. All right, two lovely young ladies um, taking care of that. So Coors Light, that was the beverage of choice. Okay, we'll we'll probably do that on a daily basis. In any event, um, the Trump administration wants to say, okay, first of all, for American citizens, spouses and minor children, they could still come in. So they're not changing that. But what they would change is preferences given to siblings, given to adult children. And what they would do is instead of admitting people exclusively on family ties, you would get points based on education, 
your ability to speak English, high-paying job offers, your age, your record of achievement, and your entrepreneurial initiative. So the idea would be we are trying to allow people to come into this country who have not just family ties, but a greater chance to succeed because they speak the language, because they've got some skills, things like that. Now, as you might expect, some people's heads are absolutely exploding over this. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage uh, Talk and Text Line. Is Trump on to something? Does it make sense to say we should move our immigration system away from just a relation to more of a system of people who can arguably contribute more to the society or are better prepared to succeed, for example, because they speak English. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 841. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the opening day of the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It is day one. Come on out. Be sure and stop off and say hi. Big thing number one, President Trump wants to reduce not illegal immigration, but legal immigration by moving towards more of a merit-based system. The way it works now is that most people who come into this country legally are brought in by family members. And we're not just talking about spouses. We're not just talking about minor kids. We're talking about brothers and sisters, and in some cases, parents, um, adult children, things like that. What Trump wants to do is limit those other sorts of exceptions and say, all right, we're going to start giving out our visas based on based on essentially the ability that people have to succeed. Um, you know, what's their education level? What's their age? Can they speak English? All those different types of things. I happen to think that this is a good first step because the reality is, you know, if you want to figure out how you are going to succeed in this country, one of the things you need is you need some skills. You need to bring stuff to this table, to the table, if we're talking about coming into this country permanently. I understand one of the big issues is right now people who come into this country both legally and illegally, in many cases, work in jobs that I don't believe Americans will do. Now, the argument always is, well, the only reason Americans don't want to work at certain types of jobs is because they don't pay enough. I'm not sure I buy that. I mean, I think that there's a lot of different types of jobs that pay what the jobs are worth, but you have Americans who, uh, for whatever reason, you know, don't want to work in the dairy industry because it's really, really hard work or don't want to work in some of the seasonal jobs that they need at the Wisconsin Dells or things like that. I understand that by doing something like this, it has the potential the potential, at least to make it more difficult, to bring in the type of workers who are going to do those jobs that I believe Americans don't want. But at the same time, you're not going to completely exclude those people. The way this plan operates is that the people, if, if you've got, 
for example, a job offer, you know, you're going to go to the top of the list as far as coming into this country. So if you're one of those people who says, hey, you know, I'm willing to go work on a, a dairy farm or I, I'm willing to be a seasonal worker and I'm going to work in uh, I'm going to be a hotel maid or whatever I'm going to be in the Wisconsin Dells. All right. If you've got those job offers, you're going to get the priorities um, any in, in here anyway. So, I mean, I think that that's going to all level out. But the bottom line is this proposal will, at least in my opinion, help stop people from coming into this country who aren't going to be in a position to succeed and therefore become a drain on our resources. As long as you end up doing this, again, balancing the need of people who want to work but are going to work in some of the lower skill jobs, I, I think you're on to something. Now, whether or not this is going to get passed, that's a different story because you've already got some Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, who's a Republican senator from South Carolina, who's saying, hey, in South Carolina, we're, we're big in the tourist industry. We've got hotels. We've got restaurants. We've got golf courses. Um, a lot of the people that come in and work here are the, the low-skilled immigrants. They come in and they do these types of jobs because Americans can't find them. I think as long as those jobs are still there, this makes eminent sense. Will it pass? I don't know. Should it pass? I think so. All right, big story number two. All Over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've spent a lot of time talking about Foxconn. And the argument now, and there's some people who still want to throw cold water on this proposal, well, do we know it's really going to be 3,000 jobs? Will it be 3,000? Will it be 6,000? Will it be 13,000? I think Foxconn is, is a game changer, and I think it is incumbent on the legislature to do whatever they have to do to get this thing going. I think it's going to change the Wisconsin landscape for generations to come. But there's something else that's been going on a little bit below the radar. Um, Amazon has been on an absolute hiring rampage. I mean, Amazon and the jobs, you know, at these Amazon fulfillment centers, um, essentially at the warehouses, the people that you make the Amazon order, and they're the people that actually fill these orders. Amazon has been in the process of recruiting thousands of, of people. They say that they're looking for about 15,000 new people to come in and, and work at different Amazon fulfillment centers, the warehouses, across the country. Interestingly enough, you know, you've got that big Amazon facility down in Kenosha. Um, they, they say 1,500 jobs are up for grabs. They're looking at hiring 1,500 people, new people, to work in that Kenosha facility. And again, these jobs, they start at around 11 bucks an hour. They go up from there. They have benefits that come with them. Most of the jobs are full-time. Some are part-time. But, of course, some of the people that want to fill these jobs just want to work part-time. But Amazon has been on a hiring spree. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, this is big story number two. Amazon, of course, is revitalizing and changing the shopping landscape. I was reading a story last night where, I, I, I'm, candidly, I mean, I look at this and I say, 1,500 jobs. How cool is that? 1,500 new jobs brought to southeastern Wisconsin by this company that is just absolutely expanding. But I was reading a piece last night where somebody's suggesting, well, what you have to understand is that these jobs at Amazon come at the expense 
of the brick-and-mortar retailers. Because for everybody that decides that they're going to shop through Amazon, what that means is that they're, they're not going to the bookstore. They're not going to the department store. They're not going to the specialty clothing store. They're ordering their stuff online. And the argument was that Amazon is what Walmart used to be five or ten years ago. It is the retail giant that is forcing out the mom-and-pop businesses. I think, on the other hand, Amazon simply has found the business model that relates to people and the way we want to shop in 2017. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, the expansion of the Amazon plant in Kenosha, the hiring in Kenosha, the massive hiring that they are going through all across the country, I think this is a good thing, although I acknowledge that this is coming at the expense of certain small brick-and-mortar retailers. On balance, is Amazon a good thing for Kenosha, for the country, for consumers? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is big story number two. Lots of jobs coming to Kenosha. Do they come with some concern? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1151. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's day one. Hey. It's 854. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. Big story number two. Amazon announcing that they are going to be hiring 50,000 people across the country, new people. Um, 1,500 of the jobs are going to be at their Kenosha Fulfillment Center. The jobs in the warehouse start around $12 an hour. Most of them are full-time. They have benefits. Now, the problem is that the work is apparently it's, it's, it's tough. It's a warehouse job that's challenging. It has a reputation as being physically demanding and repetitive, you know, going pulling boxes off shelves. And some people, you know, do, aren't able to do it. They have this degree of burnout. There's some people who are saying, though, hey, we need to be concerned about Amazon. It's growing too fast. It's growing too big. Here's the way I look at this. The reason Amazon is successful is like the reason Walmart is successful. For everybody who hates Walmart, doesn't like Walmart, all those things, the reality is they are in many cases the same people that are lined up um, at 6 a.m. in the morning the day after Thanksgiving or 3 a.m. in the morning the day after Thanksgiving waiting so that they can go in they can get the $59 DVD player. The truth of the matter is that Amazon is building the better mousetrap. Amazon has found this business model where people that people want to participate in. The idea that, and and look, I'm the classic example of that. I am a buyer. I am not a shopper. I have no interest at all in heading down to, I have no interest at all in, in heading out and trying to, investigate, you know, look at all sorts of different things. I mean, if I'm going to buy something, I want to buy something. I know what my sizes are. So, you know, you order it with the idea that you can end up returning it. Um, Amazon is just, quite quite frankly, they're on to something, and that's the reason why they are being as successful as as they are. And you got to just, you just have to give them credit for that. 
So we look at why things are going on, and for everybody who's saying, "Well, we don't want to have Amazon, and we don't want to, um, we, we don't want to, uh, to participate this way," the truth of the matter is, Amazon is successful because it is because people want to participate. BD back at the studio. I I, I lost my call screen. Uh, who do we have on the line? Okay. Tell, okay. Let, let's go to let's go to Jesse in Racine. Jesse, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jesse. I, I think yes. Can you hear yeah, me? Good morning. Now? Yeah, go ahead. We're set. Uh, I think Amazon's good for all of southeastern Wisconsin. Tell me why. The jobs they're creating and all the rest of the development that's going on down there is making the wages be competitive with other businesses. For employees, well, it would seem to me, it would seem to me, it's right. What what you have is you have this giant fulfillment center. Um, I think it's got to be completely and totally reinvigorating the area down there, like you say, raising the overall wages, and it, it creates a destination. I mean, people want to go there and people want to work there. I mean, I just don't think that you can turn up. Anybody should be turning up their nose at jobs that pay thirteen, fourteen, fifteen dollars an hour with benefits. Those are decent jobs. Oh, those are those are wonderful jobs, Jeff. It's the it's for everybody who says, well, you know, all right, the Amazon is you know hurting. Amazon is hurting like some of the local businesses. Well, okay, you can always make that argument. The local businesses have to figure out a way to adapt. I don't think Amazon is a sweatshop at all. I mean, everything I'm told is these. Like I say, the, these are good jobs. Might be hard work, but you know, people shouldn't be adverse to hard work. Absolutely. Um, thanks for the call, Jesse. I appreciate it. Sure. That's Jesse Downing. He is the alderman who represents that area. Justin on our text line writes, Amazon actually helps many small businesses. Many of the products Amazon ships come from small entities for whom they provide marketing, fulfillment, billing, and customer service, evaluating the small businesses to sell to the masses without needing to invest in the infrastructure. Amazon is more of a known uh, brand and logistical operation for others than just a retailer themselves. Yeah, now, I mean, I understand that Amazon has all sorts of rules and, you know, put conditions on what can happen for people to sell, but the truth of the matter is that they are have changed the face of retailing, and as a result, they are providing jobs for areas all across the country, particularly down, in this case, in Kenosha, 1,500 extra jobs. I say go for it. Okay, coming up next, big thing number three, more bad news for the Obamacare insurance exchange market, and after that... Hey, one part of our listening area, $200,000 about to get flushed down the tube. Stick around. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 908. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, it it's a little bit overcast, but there's no reason not to come out here. I'm listening to some of the weather reports. I understand they're predicting, you know, maybe some thunderstorms moving through in the afternoon. Plenty of places to go to be inside. If you're planning on coming out in the fair, my advice would be do not let the weather deter you. Um, actually, this is the kind of day that I really like. Like I say, it's not, you, you don't have the 100-degree temperatures and all, and lots of people stopping by and having fun. And uh, people are coming by and saying hi. I like that as well. All right, big thing number three. More bad news 
for those people who participate in the Obamacare insurance exchanges. Now, the good news, and this I, I keep emphasizing this because it's lost in a lot of the discussions about health care. The good news is the vast majority of people in this country do not get their insurance through the Obamacare insurance exchanges. The vast majority of people get their health insurance through their employer. That's one of the reasons why I, I really I, I thought Obamacare was such a disastrous idea because you, you took a, a system you essentially blew up an entire system to deal with problems that really were being faced by a relatively small number of people. And my old point was always, okay, why don't we address the problems, the pre-existing condition issue, some of the cost issues, as it applies to those people who don't get insurance through their employer, why do you blow up essentially the entire system? And that's kind of what happened. Well, the problem that we have been seeing play out is more and more of these insurers. And the way it used to be before Obamacare was you would have individual insurance companies that would come into a state and they would offer different plans. And you'd have different health insurance agents who would sit, you could sit down with the agent and they would say, okay, what do you need? What do you want to have covered? How big a deductible do you want to pay? You know, where, what sort of coverage do you want? And, and what kind of networks do you want? I mean, what sort of doctors do you want to have access to? And then you could buy a plan that met those needs. I mean, that's the way the system used to work. Now, I understand that because of the costs, there were some people, particularly some low-income people, who were priced out of that, and that, that's an issue. But nowadays, that's not how it works. Nowadays, we have blown up the system, and essentially, you don't have multiple insurance companies that are competing anymore. You have a handful of insurance companies, and in some counties and in some states, there's no insurance companies at all. They're not participating. Well, okay, the breaking news is that Molina Healthcare, which was you know one of the companies, it's a health insurer based out of California, um, that had the largest market share for health plans sold directly to individuals and families in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, they announced yesterday that they're dropping out of Obamacare. They're not going to be selling health insurance um, in market through the Affordable Care Act. Um, they just said, hey, we're, we're losing money. Um, apparently, they reported a $230 million loss for the last quarter. Now, that wasn't all on the insurance exchanges in Wisconsin, but they're losing money hand over fist. They said, it's, we just cannot do it. So what this means is that, for example, if you are stuck getting your insurance through the Obamacare exchanges in Milwaukee County, you're limited now to um, very few choices, Common Ground Health Care Cooperative, Children's Community Health Plan, and Network Health. That, that's it. No more Blue Cross Blue Shield, no more Molina. And this is, and actually in Milwaukee County, you're relatively lucky because there's a lot of counties across this country where there's no insurers at all that are participating. Now, I bring this up because for everybody who thinks you don't need to repeal or replace Obamacare, this is just the death spiral that's starting. And it's going to get worse. The only option, and I understand that there's some people who say, well, here's what we need to do. We need to take a whole bunch of taxpayer money, and we need to give it to the insurance companies in order to encourage them, subsidize their, their losses. Well, all right, 
excuse me, but I don't think the answer to the health care dilemma is to take a boatload of taxpayer dollars and simply give it to the insurers. You have to figure out a better way for the system to work. To me, that better way is increased competition, allow insurers to sell plans across state lines, don't limit people to only being able to write insurance in certain counties, all those type of things to, again, get us closer back to a competitive market, all the while dealing with the pre-existing illness issue. But the bottom line is, it's already been documented that the big lie of Obamacare was, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Nope, that's not how it works. And that's getting more and more true. Now the lie is, if you like the doctor you got under Obamacare, you're going to be able to keep them. No, not necessarily, because the choices are more and more limited as you go to the few remaining insurers that are participating, and they don't, in many cases, offer full network coverage. So, you know, maybe... Maybe you were your doctor was through, I don't know, the Freighter Health Network. Well, now if Freighter's not in the network of the insurance carrier that you're stuck with, the exchange carrier that you're stuck with, well, okay, you're not going to be able to keep that doctor either. It's a mess. It's a mess, and Congress has to do something about it. But nothing is going to happen until people on the other side of the aisle, Democrats, acknowledge also that this is a mess. And maybe, unfortunately, it's just going to have to get worse before it gets better, before somebody does something about it. Okay, when we come back, a local community is getting ready to, in my opinion, take $200,000 and effectively light it on fire. I'll share that story with you, and we'll discuss next. It's 915. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. Stick around. It's 917, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It is day one. All right. Uh, down in Racine, uh, the former mayor, John Dickert, um, announced that he was he was going to resign in the middle of his term. His term expires in April of 2019. He announced that he was going to resign to take a job with a, uh, a, a water organization, a Great Lakes Water Organization. So upon his resignation, like I say, his term expires in April of 2019. So you've got, what, a year and a half to run. Upon his resignation, what happened is um, the, the Common Council appointed uh, an essentially an acting mayor, one of the aldermen who indicated that he didn't want to be mayor, agreed to take over, and he's now serving in that capacity, sort of as an acting or interim mayor, until an election can be scheduled. All right? There are a number of politicians who want the, the, the gig. Former school board president wants the gig. A Democratic state assembly person wants the gig. A former school board member wants the gig. Another alderman wants the gig. And maybe more people are going to want that. Who knows? So a lot of people want want to be the mayor of Racine. Go figure. Well, right now, like I say, there, there's the interim mayor, um, acting mayor, whatever you want to call him, who is an alderman. Things seem to be going fine. 
there is a decision to be made as to when you have the special election to fill this vacancy. And like I say, the term of the mayor uh, only runs for another year and a half. So the common council down there had to decide when to do this. The two options they really had were to schedule a special election in the fall, essentially um, in October, with a primary that would be held in September to winnow it down to two candidates. You could do the special election, or, or you could wait another, what, six months, seven months, eight months, until April, because in April we're going to have a general election. That's the regularly scheduled election. By having a special election in September and October, primary and then the general election, it will cost the taxpayers in Racine somewhere in the neighborhood of $200,000. On the other hand, if you simply allow the acting mayor to be the acting mayor until the whole process starts and you wait until the regularly scheduled election dates, what you do is you save two hundred grand. Now, the city council in Racine had those choices, and they have uh, decided, based on a vote yesterday, that they're going to spend the money, that they're going to have the primary in September, they're going to have the general election in October, rather than waiting to February and April. And as a result, they're going to commit $200,000 of taxpayer dollars towards doing this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given the fact that things seem to be going pretty well in Racine, and given the fact that there's a lot of stuff you could do with $200,000. I seriously question the wisdom of saying, all right, we're going to have the special election in the fall instead of waiting a couple more months and then just having the mayor's election at the same time we have all these other elections and then we'll take that two hundred grand and we'll use it to I don't know, fix potholes in the street or fix street lights or do public safety or whatever. I think this is an incredible waste of money. There's no decision. They, they could have gone either way. You could have had the early special election, or you could have just said, hey, let's wait until next spring, let's spend the money, and let's save the money and do other things. They've decided to have the election um, in September and October. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I live down in Racine, I'd be saying, wait, wait a second. 200 grand to do this simply to try to, I don't know, advance some particular politician's political career. Things are going okay. Why don't we just continue in a holding pattern, essentially? Things are getting done. Why don't we save the money? Or if we're going to spend the money, why don't we spend the money on something that really benefits, I don't know, the citizens instead of, again, advancing the career of one of the particular politicians who aspires to be the mayor. All right, did the Racine City Council do the right thing by scheduling this special election in September and October at a cost of two hundred grand to the constituents? Through up to me, I'd say save the money. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's nine twenty three. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Stick around.
Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, we're broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, this is kind of ironic. Uh, Green Bay Middle School, named for Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi Middle School. Um, apparently, uh, the principal has sent a letter to parents saying the school had been advertising coaching vacancies since last April and has not had anyone apply for the positions. So Vince Lombardi Middle School isn't going to be offering football. <laughs> it's, just, I, I, it's interesting to me that nobody's applying for this. The principal said, with the time it takes to hire quality people, interview, reference, and complete background checks, the school has simply run out of time. Um, uh, it's, there is, I, I guess, I don't know that there is a larger point here, but there is this uh, irony that, you know, the middle school in Green Bay, of all places, named after Vince Lombardi, um, has to cancel the football season because they can't find anybody to coach at the middle school. Huh. <laughs> it's just, what do you say? Okay, we're talking about this decision by the Racine City Council that if I were living in Racine, candidly, I, I'd be wondering what is going on. You had the mayor of Racine resign in the middle of his term. The term expires in April of 2019, which is fine. Right now, there is a member of the Common Council who is serving as the interim-slash-acting mayor. At some point in time, there needs to be a special election, but everything appears to be going just fine. It's not like Racine government is paralyzed in any way, shape, or form. There's two choices that the city council had. Choice number one was to wait until the next regularly scheduled election cycle, primaries in February and the election in April. If they were to have done that, the cost of scheduling the election would have been negligible because you've already got all the other costs. It's just one more race that's on the ballot. What they decided to do, though, instead, at an expense of somewhere in the neighborhood of $200,000, is schedule the election with the primary in September and the general election um, in October. Now, that's fine because you do get somebody into office six months earlier. I I get it. I guess there is a value for that. But that value comes at a cost of $200,000, money that could be used for all sorts of other things. And candidly, I, I think there's almost no good purpose behind this other than it gives whoever ends up winning the election a little bit more of a head start towards the next election season. Because keep in mind, whoever wins this seat, whether they win the seat in a special election held in October or they win the seat in the election held next April, I mean, they're still only going to be serving until April of 2019. So this is really $200,000 that is being spent to choose a, a mayor for an extra six months and total of about 18 months at the cost of $200,000. So um, you've got the, the whole issue that's out there. They've decided to do this. You know, we'll have to see how that all plays out. But um, candidly, I don't think it makes much sense to end up doing that. Okay, we've got a lot of stuff on this morning's program. Uh, new numbers are out. And I understand that there's many people who choose not to believe poll numbers. But there is a consistency in the poll numbers with regard to President Trump. And the question really is starting to become, how low can the numbers go? And does it really matter? So we're going to be talking about that. 
good news for craft breweries. The Milwaukee Streetcar, well, Tom Barrett thinks it's the greatest thing since canned beer. Tom Barrett must not have to drive too much around the city of Milwaukee. That is all coming up. And, and a college decides that a display honoring and memorizing, memorializing the victims of 9-11, it has to go because it's too controversial. It's 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. NASA has posted for the position of Planetary Protection Officer. Hmm, and it has some wondering why. What is NASA's role here in 2017, and is it time to reconsider the organization's purpose? Scafidi and Bill Stat debate. That is 1215 here on WTMJ. They have an abbreviated show. Um, actually, we've made a decision, a smart decision. They're not going to be out here this afternoon because they only have about a half-hour show. We've got the early Brewers baseball game. But after that, I think they're here for the balance of the run of the State Fair. We are enjoying the Wisconsin State Fair. I love it out here. A um, little bit overcast, kind of threatening skies right now, and I'm kind of watching the radar, and it looks like there's a couple cells moving through. But, um, again, even if it rains out here at the State Fair, there's all sorts of buildings that you can go into and enjoy yourself at. So do not let, don't let the fear of a little bit of rains keep you away from the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, actually, on our text line, Dan was thinking, was listening to the newscast and was thinking exactly the same thing I was thinking during Mike's broadcast. Um, Anthony Scaramucci. The Mooch, the guy who looks like he came from Central Casting for the Sopranos, the guy who lasted 11 days as the communications director at the White House, now says he wants to tell America his side of the story. And um, he's planning some sort of live broadcast tomorrow. They're not sure what the media platform will be. Dan Tess. Live broadcast for Scaramucci sounds risky to me. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Here you have this guy who I can only figure out, I can only assume he was drunk. Now, maybe he wasn't, but I can only assume he was drunk because otherwise it would make no sense to pick up the phone, call a reporter for the New Yorker magazine, and launch off into one of the most vile and vulgar obscenity-laced tirades that I think I have ever seen a public official engage in publicly. Now, that's the key. I understand lots of people use bad words and stuff behind the scenes. But to call up a reporter and to go off on this rift uh, against a a number of people that were in the White House uh, using phrases that, you know, most people would be embarrassed to use, using descriptive terms that I couldn't even say on the radio because I couldn't even figure out how to clean them up. Well, so now Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch, says that he he wants to tell his side of the story. My only advice to any program director, news director, or reporter covering that particular broadcast would be have your hand very, very close to that delay button because Lord knows what this guy would say. Interestingly enough, um, there's a report in USA Today about Scaramucci. Um, The suggestion is that that 11 days he spent in the White House could cost him about $8 million in taxes. Here's the deal. Here's what they write. He took no salary during his short tenure as White House communication director, but nevertheless, there's estimates that it could cost him more than $7.5 million. That's because he's a a hedge fund founder. That's how he knows Trump. Um, he, He left the White House 
before he could obtain what's called a certificate of divestiture, which gives him special tax treatment that federal employees who give up assets in order to avoid conflicts of interest. So if you're in the private sector, you take a a job in the federal government, for example. You take a job in the federal government, and so as a result, because of conflicts of interest, you have to sell certain assets that you have. Well, there's a special provision in the law that allows you to not get killed by taxes if you do that. Um, However, apparently what happened is he left the White House because he was only there 11 days. He didn't obtain the certificate of divestiture that you need, and you can't get it after you're out of the White House. So the fact that he's no longer a federal employee would appear to bar him from doing this, and what it means is, ultimately, long story short, um, he's going to have to pay a much higher tax rate on assets that he dumped, and it's going to end up costing him uh, about $7.5 million. Now, before you feel too sorry for the mooch, though, um, understand that um, they estimate that the sale of assets is worth at least $50 million. So it's not like you're going to have to be having a tag sale anytime soon for him. All right. New numbers are out, um, and, and they're not good for the president if you care about poll numbers. Um, the Rasmussen reports, which they, they do they do daily tracking polls, and they have historically been more friendly to President Trump than other polls. His approval rating in Rasmussen is down to 38. Uh, Quinnipiac, um, they came out with a national poll two days ago, and here's what the numbers say. Just 33%, one-third of people responding, say they approve of the way that President Trump is handling his job. 61% of voters disapprove. His approval rating was 76% among Republicans, which means one out of four Republicans disapprove of his job. His approval rating was 2% among Democrats. 2% of Democrats approve of his job, and um, let's see, uh, the and 34% approval rating among um, independents. Um, the, the numbers get worse. Voters said it's by a v- 71 to 26% that he's not level-headed. 62% of voters said he's not honest. 63% said he does not have good leadership skills. 54% of voters said they were embarrassed to have him as president. Um, all in all, no matter how you count this up, not good numbers. Not not good numbers. Matter of fact, perhaps historically bad numbers. My guess is you probably, and I don't know if Quinnipiac was doing this back in Watergate with Richard Nixon, you probably have to go back to, to Richard Nixon. You've got to probably go back to Watergate or the Vietnam War, maybe with Lyndon Johnson, to find numbers that are even close to this. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think... These numbers do accurately reflect where the majority of Americans are right now. The key emphasis being right now. And I think if these numbers stay where they are, it's going to be a problem for the president trying to advance an agenda, number one. And it has the potential to be a huge problem to Republicans when they try to go out and run for re-election a year from November. Some people, though, say, oh, it's no big deal. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are these numbers 
cause for concern, and can they be turned around? Is this just, again, the, the media's jihad against the president? Is he not getting a fair shake? Or is this accurate, and does it reflect some of the problems that the president currently has? 414-799-1620, and um, I don't know, how would you answer this? I mean, is it alarming when you've got a 33% approval rating, when 60% of the American public appear to think that you're not trustworthy or level-headed? Is this a cause for concern? And I think the answer has got to be yes. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 942. It's 945. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, we have a, a storm cell moving through. We're broadcasting live from the State Fair. Couple big peals of thunder and some really big bolts of lightning. I would, I would not want to be up in the sky glider right at this moment. And you, you always know it's interesting when my dear friend, our engineer, comes in and says, "You might not want to have your hands on on that microphone. Don't necessarily be touching that board." It, no, we'll, we will be fine. Uh, like I say, cell moving through. Still, lots of people out here at the State Fair, and there's all sorts of places you could go while this stuff blows over. All right, um, new Quinnipiac poll out showing President Trump's approval rating is down to 33 percent. Um, 76% of Republicans like him, which means a quarter of Republicans don't. Almost no Democrats like him. Um, large numbers, 71% say he's not level-headed. 62% of voters say he's not honest. 63% say he doesn't have good leadership skills. 54% of voters say they were embarrassed to have him as the president. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let me share with you a couple of the texts that we've we, we've gotten. And and the the response that some people have is that they just choose not to believe the polls. Beth, for example, correctly points out if polling is accurate, Hillary Clinton is president um, right now. And you know, there's that's that's true. Kristen says we learned during the last election that polls don't mean anything except for propaganda tools for the mainstream media, usually unfairly polled and deceitful surveys. Right, so I understand that there's that element that's out there. At the same time, I, I think to try to suggest that these polls are all that wrong when it comes to these issues, I think is just almost being foolhardy. Do I think that there's problems with polls? Yes. Do I think that the polls have trouble accurately identifying you know, who's going to win particular elections? Absolutely. There, there's no question about it. But at the same time, I think for people who want to see this president succeed, um, you, you've got to recognize that there's a huge problem here. I mean, this is not just all some delusion that's out there. And I will tell you, my general sense of it is these numbers sound pretty accurate to me. That, that's just the general feeling that I, I get. I, I don't think there's too many Democrats out there that think he's doing a good job. And I think that there's a lot of people who are Republicans who are concerned as well. Now, here's where I, I think you've got to break down the numbers. I have always tried to make a distinction between style and substance. I think when you look at the substance of a number of the things that that President Trump is trying to accomplish, I think the American people like it and the American people support it. The problem is 
you have this style that is off-putting and gets in the way. And, you know, whether it's the, the late-night Twitter stuff, whether it's some of the claims that just can't be substantiated, regardless of, of what this is, I, I think it's the style. Uh, matter of fact, we have a text from Mitch who says, I think this is an evaluation of Trump is a person more than his policies. If Mike Pence was likely pursuing the same policies with the improving economy and the booming stock market, I bet his polling would be over 50%. And you know what? I think that is absolutely 100% correct. This is a matter of the Trump style, which I think is stepping on the message. Again, a message that I think a lot of people like to hear. Now, the problem becomes, though, that style does become substance if people can't get past the style. And I, I think it would be certainly in the president's interest to, you know, clean up clean up his, his act. Um, and by that I mean just kind of tamp down some of the some of the more over the top stuff, try to rein in and I think the appointment of John Kelly to be the chief of staff is a good step in that direction. Um, I think it's kind of time for Adult Swim, and I understand that there's people out there who say, "No, Jeff, you don't understand. It was this. It was this. This was the personality that got Donald Trump elected." Well, not necessarily. What got Donald Trump elected was that he was running against Hillary Clinton, who was just uniformly despised by a large segment of the American people. If you had a different kind of candidate running against Donald Trump, I'm not sure that the outcome would have been the, the same. I think that the truth of the matter is, if people just look at the issues and the positions he's taking and you look at what's going on with the economy, you do have the degree of support. But he's got to figure out a way, if he wants, if he cares about the poll numbers going up, and every Republican who is running in Congress should care about the poll numbers going up, he, he needs to figure out a way to kind of stifle some of the worst instincts that he has. Now, can you do that at the age of 72? Well, I don't know. Text from Bill in Burlington. Jeff, just like the polls were all wrong last year and did not get it right that Donald Trump would become president, I believe the silent majority um, still supports him. Low numbers or not, the majority of the American people support him. You know, maybe. Um, Maybe. Let's see. Ken writes from West Bend. These polls mean nothing. I get calls continuously from people to ask if I approve of Trump. I reply, you know, have a nice day. You know, goodbye. All right. Um, here, here's the bottom line of all this. I understand there's people who just want to completely dismiss the polls, and there is a tendency to do that. The reality, though, is be careful with that, because when you see the same numbers and this kind of drastic number over and over and over again, it tells you that there is some sort of problem that's out there, and that's what my gut tells me a- as well. I think President Trump needs to figure out a way to stop stepping on his message. And once he starts doing that, I expect there will be a rebound in the polls. Just saying. It's 9.52. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's day one. It's 9.54, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. We are broadcasting live. It is day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, the heavens just kind of opened up, and it started to really, really rain and thunder and lightning, and now it's now the thunder and lightning seems to have largely passed. Now it's just 
it's still raining pretty hard. They finally stopped the sky glider during the break. I was, I, I was watching the sky glider goes right past where we are, and there was there was a brave couple that was was in that sky glider <laughs> during the uh, during the thunderstorm. Um, right now, they've decided. I think we're just going to give it a pause for a minute, and I think that probably that probably makes a lot of sense. All right. If you have tried to drive downtown in Milwaukee, ah, any time in the last couple of weeks, my, my advice would be good luck because it's always difficult to drive downtown, but now it is almost impossible to drive downtown simply because it seems to me, especially east of the river, you have one street after another that, that just torn up. It, it just it does not exist anymore, so you have to figure out alternative ways. Now, why doesn't the street exist? Well, is it because the street was in poor condition in the first place and had to be torn up? No, 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 no. It's, it's not that. Um, it's because... We are spending, what, $100-plus million to install Tom Barrett's Trolley Folly, Tom's Trolley Folly. And as a result, the city of Milwaukee, particularly east of the river, in the areas around where the streetcar is going to run, it is now largely impassable. And it's going to stay largely impassable for several months. So traffic, almost every other street, it seems like, is closed off. Parking. Good luck with trying to find parking, all to try to put in this, this silly streetcar. Tom Barrett, now for, to his credit, he is consistent. Tom wants this to be his legacy. He's out there saying, well, th- this is a good thing, as he walks along the chaos that this construction is causing. This is a good thing, he says. We're definitely on time and on budget. We're where we should be right now. Well, okay, tell that to anybody who works in downtown Milwaukee and has to get around. Um, tell it to anybody who wants to try to bring visitors to downtown Milwaukee and try to have them get around. Um, it's one thing after another. Tell them to the businesses that are operating along these areas that you absolutely can't get to anymore because there's no parking, because the streets are torn up, all these different types of things. But yet Barrett says, well, we're on time, you know, and, and we're on budget. Well, they, they might be on time. What you're going to do, I think, is you're going to look back at what's going on here, and you're going to see that you've got roads that have been torn up, people that have been inconvenienced, all to put in a streetcar, which, by the way, is still going to inconvenience a lot of people because you're going to lose parking. You're going to lose, I mean, some areas of, again, the roadway for this. It's going to lead to more congestion. And at the end of the day, you're not going to have anybody riding this, or at least in any sort of significant numbers. And what is so frustrating about this is I, I think most of the proponents of the streetcar know it. They recognize that there's going to be very, very limited ridership. They've already got their excuse lined up. The excuse is going to be, well, people don't ride it because it, it doesn't go anywhere. It, it does, you know, I mean, there's just not that many people who have interest between going from the bus depot to the Lower East Side along a two-point-mile run. They, they recognize that that's the case. So they've already got the prearranged excuse coming in saying, well, we know nobody's going to ride this thing, so... All we need to do is we need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars more expanding the streetcar line to take it to places where people theoretically want to go. Look, this, I think, is going to go down in history as perhaps the greatest waste of money, the greatest white elephant in the history of the city of Milwaukee. I continue to believe that 10 years from now, if Martians land in Cathedral Square Park, look at this 
trolley that's essentially going to be an air trolley, meaning it's not going to be carrying people. It's just going to be transporting air. And then they find out what sort of disruptions people went through to get this and how much money it cost. They're going to fly away convinced that there's no intelligent life in the city of Milwaukee. And it's for people who live outside the immediate downtown area. Any of you, any of you who had an alderman that voted for this silly thing that has no possible potential at all for benefiting you, boy, I tell you, if that alderman is still in office, you're the ones that need to have your head examined. All right, it is 9.59. When we come back, want to tell you about a controversy involving a September 11th memorial. We will talk about that and a lot of other stuff as well. Stick around. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 9.59. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Okay, the rain cell has moved over us. and It was interesting. It just rained really hard for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then everybody just kind of disappeared. But that's one of the great things about being out at the State Fair. There are places you can go to get out of the rain, and now the rain has stopped, and now everybody's back walking around again. So uh, don't let weather, if you're planning to come out to the State Fair, my advice would be don't don't let the weather scare you off from doing that. Matter of fact, today it's uh, the weather is just very, very nice I, as far as the temperature and all like that. So um, just kind of be prepared. And like I say, it rained really hard, and people scattered into the various different uh, inside areas, and now everybody's back out again. All right, we've got a lot of ground to cover on the remaining time on today's program. Um, SMU, Southern Methodist University, the alma mater of uh, George W. Bush, as a matter of fact. Um, in the news, not necessarily in a way that it wants to be. Every year around September 11th, to commemorate the lives that were lost in the terrorist attack on September 11th, 2001, uh, a campus group, it's a conservative group on campus, Young Americans for Freedom, what they do is there's an area of a student lawn, and what they do is they they put out 3,000 small American flags. I mean, I mean I've seen the photographs of this. It's it, it looks quite impressive. And again, it's th- this display of flags is designed as a, a memorial to the people who lost their life on September 11th, 2001. Uh, as a general rule, this flag display has been very very well received by by students. Well, they're not going to have a chance to at least experience it in the current location because the university has now come out with a policy saying that this big public open area where they've been doing the displays, it's not going to be permitted. They're not going to allow the flag display or other displays to be there. In the statement that the university originally came out with, um, objecting to the location of the display, here's what they say. While the university respects the rights of students to free speech, the university respects the right of members of the community to avoid messages that are triggering, harmful, or harassing. Hmm. Triggering, harmful, or harassing. So as a result, this display is not going to be allowed. And so a number of people are saying, well, what about a display of American flags on or around September 11th to commemorate the terrorist attack could qualify as being, you know, harassing or harmful or or triggering? I mean, are we really 
Are American college students such snowflakes that they're not going to be able to process this? SMU says, well, um, you know, their portion of the lawn is used for outdoor class space and other studying and things like that, and those activities would have to be moved if the uh, if the flags were displayed. So we're just moving them off to uh, a more obscure part of of campus. SMU respects the rights of campus community members to express their opinions as well as their right to be free from coercion and harassment. To which a number of people are correctly asking, wh- wh- just what sort of coercion and harassment comes from an American flag display recognizing 9-11? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, it is true that this rule would also apply to other displays as well. So if there was something arguably more controversial, that would encompass this as well. But the preliminary effect is to take this display that has been there for years and years of American flags around September 11th in an acknowledgement and a remembrance of the people who lost their lives and say, we're not going to allow you to put it here because we are concerned about the rights of the campus community to be free from coercion and harassment. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, really? Is there anybody, any reasonable person that could look at a 9-11 display of American flags, again, designed to remember the people who've lost their lives and feel that that's, that's coercive, it's harassing, it's harmful, or it's triggering? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, this is one of the most ridiculous things that I have heard. But maybe this is what passes for, I don't know, the idea of political correctness or sensitivity on American campuses. Could any reasonable person be offended by a display like this? We discuss next. It's 1014. This is Jeff Wagner. Our number, 414-799-1620. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from day one of the Wisconsin State Fair. What's the biggest change you'll see when you hit the State Fairgrounds in the next week? John McCure has the answer later today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News after Brewers Baseball, live from the State Fair, sponsored by Amish Craftsman Guild. Um, actually, the Amish Craftsman Guild, they have great stuff. I don't know what John is going to say. I was walking around the grounds earlier this morning, and um, there's a... They got the, they've got this giant Ferris wheel that just kind of um, it, it look. I'm not a Ferris wheel guy. I, I heights and I don't necessarily get along, so I'm not going up in it. But if you are a Ferris wheel person, it looks like it is incredibly, incredibly cool. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage uh, Talk and Text Line. SMU has decided that they don't want to upset some of the students, and so as a result. Um, this big display that's been put up year after year by one of the college conservative groups where they put out almost 3,000 flags on or around September 11th to memorial to serve as a memorial for the people who lost their lives on September 11th, 2001. It is now apparently too controversial. Um, they don't want to expose members of the community, college community or otherwise, to messages that are triggering, harmful, or harassing. 
Let's start with Gordon in West Bend. Gordon, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Good to talk to you again. How are yes, you? Yes, sir. I, I am well. You are. Um, you have. You have more than just a little bit of an affili- affini- affili- affinity for this topic. Uh, this affects you personally. Absolutely. My daughter Andrea was killed on 9/11. Yeah. And at the uh, trade centers, and indeed, I'm involved in a memorial that's uh, going to be built in Kewaskum, Wisconsin. And we're discussing this. It's important that. Uh, this day be recognized within this country and I'm, I'm very hardened to uh, be part of this memorial that will be going in Kewaskum, that's where Andrea went to high school It's Andrea Haberman right? Yes sir Right, yeah, right, and, just for people who didn't know yeah. and uh, a community that embraces the idea of commemorating a day that changed the course of the history of this country I guess one of the things that strikes me so much is, I mean, I think, I I mean, I remember after that that horrible, horrible day that you really had this country come together in a way that I'm not sure I remember seeing before or since in in my lifetime. And I guess I, I just don't understand why any institution, whether it's an institution of higher learning or whatever, would discourage that and not recognize that this the powerful nature of that. Especially the powerful nature of the display of American flags. Um, this was an American tragedy and atrocity, but you're absolutely right. Communities came together. Our family couldn't have survived without the help of communities. And it, as time passes here, you're looking at an entire generation that does not remember yeah. uh, on, a, on a first basis. Uh, the events of 9-11. It is important that we go forward and educate people about what happened and educate people about the goodness of America and Americans. And, uh, again, if, uh, you know, a little town of uh, Kewaskum, Wisconsin, can uh, embrace an idea of a memorial, it would seem to me that college students uh, should be allowed to observe the events also of 9-11. Gordon, as I recall, your, your daughter, it was, this was just a free, she was on a business trip, right? That, yeah, that, it, yeah. it was, uh, uh, there's very little odds that uh, her flight was delayed three times. She got in midnight. She had switched with another girl to do this trip because we were planning for her wedding. Um, she got in there about midnight on Monday night, showed up for work a little bit early. And the combination of everything uh, mm. uh, resulted in her mm. um, right. being killed, of course. Wow. Um, so there's no odds for that. But the, what I've learned, though, is that strong arms, starting in our local community here, West Bend, Kewaskum, uh stretching to strong arms in New York, united this country also. And right. not to recognize that. Or to say that it's uh, uh, offensive to parts of uh, the community, I would. Uh, it's insane. <laughs> I would suggest that they're grossly mistaken on that. Uh, Gordon, thanks so much for for joining me. You are always welcome on the program, sir. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, thank. It's Gordon Haberman, of course, who lost his 
daughter. That, that's if, and you know, it's inter- he made a very interesting point about nine eleven. Um, you are. When I think back on on my lifetime, and people know how old I am, I had a zero year birthday. There are there are certain events that you remember. I was a very I was very young when President Kennedy was shot, but yet if you were alive when President Kennedy was shot, you remember where you were. I mean, I was in first grade. I remember you know like teachers coming in. I remember everybody being sent home. You you remember that. I am told that if you are of a certain age and you were alive on Pearl Harbor, when Pearl Harbor occurred, you remember Pearl Harbor. That's that's one of these sort of seminal events that's there. Some people remember um, the, the explosion of the Challenger. But I, I, I will tell you, everybody, everybody, just like if you were alive in Pearl Harbor, if you were alive when President Kennedy was shot, if you were alive, if you were around on September 11th, we all remember where that is. That is why on this show I devote at least one hour um, on September 11th, if it's a Monday through Friday, to just re- reminiscing, remembering where we were, because I think it is so important that we always remember the, the the fact that you know if we thought that terrorism couldn't come to these shores, we we were wrong, and also remembering all the innocent people who lost their lives, not just in the attack on the World Trade Center, but the Pentagon and the flight, all, all those different types of things. You need to constantly remember that. And, and the idea that you've got a college campus that is deciding that, well, it might be triggering or it might be harassing or some people might be offended. I mean, really? Pat in West Dallas. Pat, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. I Hi, think Pat. all the students who want to honor September 11th and everybody who died should bring a flag with them to school, bring it to class, carry it visibly with you. The small little flags, you can pass them out at parades. Everybody right. has one. Bring it, show it. Don't be afraid of, of offending anybody for Pete's sake. And if they see others with the flag, form a little group and sing God Bless America. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, who could, I, I mean, again, I, I, I understand, sometimes I understand that, okay, somebody who might be particularly sensitive could be offended by this, that, or the other thing, but seriously, who could be offended by a recognition and a memorial and a remembrance of the Americans who lost their lives? It's just, it is beyond me, and of course, it's also beyond me that you would have a college that would play into something yeah. like this. Yeah, no. exactly. Thanks for the call, Pat. I appreciate it. Um, let's see. have a text here. I currently go to UW-Madison, one of the most clearly liberal campuses in the country. And even just talking to a couple of my acquaintances about this news, we are in shock um, at the fact that this could be considered divisive or triggering. Um, now, also, I, I understand that you know this rule doesn't just apply to this flag display. It might apply to stuff in general. But in that case, you, you approach these things on a case-by-case basis. You know, I mean, you don't have to give a permit for everything. But to say that you're not going to allow this group to continue displaying the flags is just absolutely appalling. And to say it is because you are afraid that some people might feel to be harassed or it might be a triggering event, well, okay, if this is going to be a triggering event, my advice would be you, you need to toughen up because I, I don't know how you're going to be able to get through daily life. Just saying. It is 1025. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair where the sun has just come out. Stick around. It's 
It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. The non-waiver trade deadline is passed, and one national writer thinks the Brewers got bullied. Hmm. Greg Matzik isn't convinced, and he'll explain why tonight on Sports Central at 607, live from the Wisconsin State Fair, sponsored by Amish Craftsman Guild. Lord save us from national sports writers. Okay, speaking of sports, actually, this is kind of a segue to what we talked about in the previous segment when we were discussing the the 9-11 memorial and the rights to free speech. People have free speech rights, but at the same time, there are consequences to that. Does everybody remember Colin Kaepernick? Colin Kaepernick was the backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. He was drafted by the 49ers in like 2011, was the starting quarterback for a year, took him to the Super Bowl, but then lost his lost the gig. Um, his play had kind of deteriorated, and he's the guy that ended up getting all sorts of uh, headlines last year when he decided that he was not going to stand for the national anthem. Um, And then he explained why he wasn't going to stand. He said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. So he decides, I don't, I'm not going to support this country. Um, It's a country that oppresses black people. I'm not going to stand to show, uh, again, my support or whatever so he makes that decision and this this caused all sorts of issues but the nfl let him do it the san francisco 49ers let him do it that's fine so he was on the 49ers last year his con and this is a guy the interesting irony of this is this is this guy who's of course making millions and millions of dollars um in this country that supposedly oppresses black people but anyways he made that decision all right his contract is now expired so he, he's out of, of a job. Now, he has not been able to land with a team yet. Now, part of it, part of it is because he's apparently, at least the reports I'm looking at, say he wants 9 or $10 million to play for a team, and he wants an opportunity to start. You know, he wants that commitment. Well, that that's issue number one. But there's another factor that's going on here. Let's not, you know, let's not kid around. He is radioactive when it comes to various types of fan bases. Uh, The Baltimore Ravens have some quarterback issues. Their starting quarterback's got some back problems. And so one of some of the speculation out there is that the Baltimore Ravens might have been looking at signing Kaepernick kind of as a backup or to come in or fill in until their quarterback is ready. But uh, so far, they haven't done it. And the owner... Um, it's been very public about this. The owner has said, well, you know, what, what we want to do is, you know, we want to take the temperature of our fan base before we go out and, and make a signing like this. All right? And we we want to find out how this is going to be, given how controversial Kaepernick is, we want to find out, you know, from our fan base how they're going to react. Well, okay, this is back in the news again because there's a big story in USA Today. Richard Sherman, who is the outspoken a defensive back for Seattle. He's giving an interview saying that he sees Colin, the Colin Kaepernick saga as the stay-in-your-place injustice. He's talking about how he's clearly being, you know, blackballed, that he thinks it's, um, it's not about football, it's about boys stay-in-your-place. Um, he says that, uh, you know, the NFL 
the NFL would have allowed him to play if it was if he was a drunk driver. But now there's these issues for you to say that you have to check with sponsors and fans because the guy took a knee and made a statement. Now, if you told me he threw you know eight interceptions last year and played like a bum, that's one thing. Um, are you telling me fans would rather you lose and put a worse player out there because the guy took a stand? That's what's so troublesome to me. So Kaepernick is having trouble finding a spot. Part of it, I think, is probably because his demands for money are a bit unreasonable, but part of it is because of what he did. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the bottom line. He has a right to express his opinions. He has a right to say what he said. He has a right to do what he did, I guess. But at the same time, free speech has a price from time to time. And the fact that for a large segment of a fan base, these guys, his actions makes him radioactive, my comment is, what did you expect? You decide to do this. You know that you are going to, by your actions, offend a large segment of your team's fan base. Do you automatically think that that should be ignored? 414-799-1620. Is it unreasonable for a team to consider all aspects of Colin Kaepernick, including you know what he did last year, in deciding whether to hire him? Now, the Packers don't need a quarterback, so it's not really accurate, and I don't know that it would even bother. But, I mean... I don't know. I certainly understand why, whether it's the owner of the Baltimore Ravens or the San Francisco 49ers or the Cleveland Browns or whatever, one of the things that you want to consider is if we bring this guy in, you know, is this going to be a problem? Is he going to alienate the people who are buying tickets and buying jerseys and, you know, drinking the beer that's advertised on the ball games and things like that? I mean, this is. This is one of the consequences of taking a stand that like Kaepernick has. And believe me, if he didn't know it, he should have known it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yes, I don't fault the owner of the Baltimore Ravens at all. I think it is only common sense to say, hey, before we sign Colin Kaepernick, we are going to go out and we're going to see what, what kind of public relations nightmare, if any, this will be. 414-799-1620. Is he being blackballed, or is this just the consequence of decisions that he made last year that my guess is he regrets? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. Uh, right now it's 1042, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State's Fair, where the sun has come out. Stick around. Today's live broadcast. <laughs> It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I, our on-site engineer just walked back in. The, the sun is shining. He looks like a drowned rat because apparently he was walking past some building right as somebody decided to empty a tarp or something. So, um, huh. See, this is what you get when you broadcast live at the State Fair. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Colin Kaepernick, who was very, very outspoken last year when he was under contract, getting paid millions of dollars to sit on the bench by the San Francisco 49ers. He was the guy that decided he was going to take a knee because he doesn't like the way the country treats black people. Um, So he was not going to stand for the national anthem. I'm not going to stand up and show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. Blah-de-blah, blah-de-blah. Fine, he 
he did it. Well, now his contract is expired. He can't get another gig. No other NFL team has hired him, in part because I think his contract demands are outrageous, but in part because he is radioactive. Now a couple other players are saying, well, that's not fair. Well, yeah, I think it's perfectly fair. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bob in Germantown. Bob, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So Colin Kaepernick and people around him are complaining that he's he just he's not getting an opportunity. How awful is that? Well, I, <laughs> I, I'm 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 really heartbroken that this story has gotten so much mileage. I wish more owners. I wish Roger Goodell would have taken a more definitive stance when this happened. Uh, it, it, it's just it just shows me that he and the National Football League are completely spineless. Well, right, yeah, in right in the right in the first place. No, I'm I, I'm kind of with you. And now, well, now you have the story that people are complaining. Well, he, he can't get a job. Well, okay. I mean, I understand if I'm the owner of this of this team and I bring him on, I want to know what is that going to do to the fan base? Is it going to alienate a lot of people? He's the one that made his bed. Now he's lying in it. Absolutely, it's a business decision at this point. And and I'm really I, I'm really taken aback that any team would even consider sign on this character uh yeah i guess i mean if i think part of it is a lot of these teams aren't sure he can play because i i'm always amazed at at the things that people can do and and get a second and third and fourth chance but right now yeah i think i think you're right hey thanks for the call bob i appreciate it 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line again kaepernick had a right he has a right to say what he wants to say he has a right to do what he wanted to do but when you do these things, you have to understand that there is going to, you are going to generate a reaction. He knew he was going to generate a reaction. He got his 15 minutes of fame. He got all sorts of adoration by a lot of lapdogs that were in the media. But now he's back in the real world and now recognizing that the NFL is a business that depends on people buying tickets and buying jerseys. Well, now he, he's getting the flip side of that attention. And, and if he'd been concerned about it, well, maybe he should have thought about it before he did it in the first place. John in West Dallas. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, yeah, my opinion was, um, yeah, it's the same way, the same thing that happened to Muhammad Ali for voicing his opinion. He got his title taken away because he didn't agree with the Vietnam War, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, what's the respect? Well, and then, and ultimately, I mean, thanks to the call, and, and ultimately, it turned around for Muhammad Ali. I mean, thanks to the call. I mean, it, I mean, uh, our, our views of the Vietnam War changed, and I mean, I think Muhammad Ali became a truly beloved figure in general. But yeah, that was a very, very controversial time. I mean, in this particular case, I mean, again, it was. I thought it was the irony, too, of Colin Kaepernick taking the stand is, I mean, this is a guy who's making an enormous amount of money. This is a guy who's making millions of millions of dollars, um, and, and he's the one that wants to talk about, you know, no opportunities for people of color in this country. Well, okay. 414-799-1620. Nancy in Greenfield. Nancy, good morning. I just wanted to say that the freedom of speech is for all of us. And so as a, um, a spectator uh, of the sport, um, I want um, people there that are good examples for my children. I want to uh, be able to uh, let him know that he, I don't agree with what he did and that that is not a, a good example for my children. And mm-hmm. so it's all a part of our, our country is founded on free enterprise. And so if he is, if he has every right to do it, 
But this is a consequence of the yep. the, the attitude and, and words that he said and unpatriotism to our country. Um, we just don't agree with that, and we're not going to buy. We're not going to mm. buy tickets. We're not going to um, support them, uh, and that's all right. And um, and so the the football team, they need to look at that. That's their right. They want to have players that will respect authority, you know. And what does this say about him? Um, it's not very good. No, well, th- thanks for calling. No, I mean, I, I, I agree. This is just the – thanks for the call, Nancy. I appreciate you joining us. This is you know, this is the logical extension of what happens when you take these different positions. Um, you have to recognize that there is the potential for, for blowback. And if you feel that under the circumstances you want to do it, that's great. But then, you know, don't be surprised. As far as some of these other people saying he's being blackballed, no, he's not being blackballed. He is, it's in a situation where he has ended up making himself too controversial, at least maybe in the minds of some. And this, it's, this isn't unique to Colin Kaepernick. I mean, this happens all the time. It happens on the right and it happens on the left. People do things that are controversial. As a result, they, they just become, I was using the phrase, radioactive. And, and sometimes it's like, okay, you used to, whether you're radio personality or TV personality, this has happened, whether you're a sports figure. There's all sorts of public figures who end up damaging their careers by the stands that they end up taking. Now, maybe you think it's unfair. And again, I, I, my prediction is ultimately, as long as his demands are reasonable, he could, find a, he could find a gig. I don't know how much money he is asking. Like I say, some of the, a lot of times these guys that fall out of favor to get back into football, they, they have really reasonable demands. They say, okay, I'm going to come as a backup quarterback and, uh, you know, pay me, one of the quarterbacks I was looking at, pay me 800000 bucks. That's that's what passes for reasonable in, in the NFL. The reports I say, like I say, Colin uh, Kaepernick was asking for 9 or $10 million. Well, okay, maybe some of the teams are saying, okay, number one, you're going to be really controversial. So if we bring you on, we're going to get at least – we're going to get, at least in the eyes of some of our fans, there's going to be a huge negative reaction, plus you want a ridiculous amount of money. So, I mean, I don't know how much of that is playing in, but the bottom line is free speech is not free. All right, You decide to take certain positions. They can be principled or not, but if you decide you're going to go out there on the limb, don't complain if that limb falls off and you fall down. It's 1052. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is 1055. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. What a difference an hour makes. Sky Glider is in operation. Lots and lots of people are out here. Um, had a storm cell move through about an hour ago, but uh, yeah, people just went inside for a little bit. And there's all sorts of places to go. Now everybody's out enjoying this fair. My advice is don't let the weather deter you. Um, actually, the temperature is great. It is a matinee in the finale between the Brewers and Cardinals. We'll send it out to Bob and Jeff at Miller Park beginning at 1235 this afternoon, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Since um, there's an early Brewers game, my friend Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt, they're, um, they're going to be doing their abbreviated show back in the studio they're going to save their state fair debut till tomorrow but uh, if you are coming out to the state fair be sure and stop by and say hi we're at the uh, we're at what i call the fishbowl all sorts of great stuff going on hey coming up in a couple minutes um it's a classic story of 
I think, federal government overreach, overreach of the federal courts, and something that makes a big difference to some people who live in the more rural areas of Wisconsin. We're going to talk about that. Pop Culture Corner is coming up as well. Here's a bill that you could really get behind. It's called Cheers, Wisconsin, and I hope it ends up getting fast-tracked. Now, I am a huge fan of craft beers. Okay, I, I just, I, I just, I, I've been thrilled to see the explosion of of craft breweries all across the country, and particularly in Wisconsin. There's just seems like almost every week or two you've got a different brewery that's starting up, and I'm trying to sample them all, and they're all really good. And there's there's a great brewery up in Sheboygan that I love, Three Sheeps. There's a number of places, you know, in Milwaukee starting it. You know, some of the originators, the places like Milwaukee Brewing and Lakefront, and now you've got so many other good breweries that are operating as well. And if you're somebody that enjoys drinking beer, can I see a show of hands? It's really kind of a renaissance time for that. The problem has been, as with so many things in Wisconsin, that we have laws that go back to the 1920s and 1930s and 1940s. And these laws may have made sense at the time. You know, it might have been, okay, back in the 20s and 30s and 40s, you were concerned about one or two big breweries essentially dominating the market. So you had to, you know, put limitations, for example, on the abilities of these breweries to be able to to sell their goods, you know, because you didn't want them to be able to, like, run everybody else out of the market. And, And I understand there may have been a value to that, again, in the 30s or 40s. But we're not in the 30s or 40s now. We're in, it's 2017. Handful of Republican legislators are pushing something called Cheers Wisconsin, which would call for changes to current alcohol regulations. What it would do is increase the number of Class B liquor licenses available. A Class B license allows the retail sales of intoxicating liquor, spirits and wine, for consumption on premises, and it allows wine in original sealed containers for consumption on premises. So what this means is if you ran a brew pub, for example, you could also offer wine, that type of thing. The bill would also double the production cap for brew pubs and allow wineries to sell their products well past the current 9 p.m. restriction. Again, they've got this system of liquor licensing that goes back, without going too into too many details, it goes back the ni- to the 1930s. It was intended to prevent one brewery from being able to monopolize the sale of beer by keeping production, wholesale, and retail all separate. That, that might have made sense, like I say, at the time. It doesn't make sense now. If you hear about this Cheers Wisconsin bill, trust me, if you like your beer and you like your wine, and who doesn't, it's a really, really good idea. All right, lots of stuff coming up. Stick around. It's 1059. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I can understand why these leaks would drive President Trump absolutely ballistic. Uh, the report that Colleen was just telling you about, that the Washington Post is has just published transcripts of initial conversations held between President Trump 
and Mexico's president and uh, the prime minister of Australia right after he, he took office. Now, you, you might say, well, how would they get those transcripts? What apparently happens is that, you know, when when President Trump has these conversations, they are recorded and they are transcribed. And the transcriptions, the transcripts are circulated among a certain select group of individuals. These particular transcripts have apparently been marked as classified. So, I mean, they're, they're, they, were, they were classified, but somehow um, somebody who had access to these memorandums of conversation, which, again, are typically circulated to White House staff and senior policymakers, were leaked to um, the, the Washington Post. Both documents, and these would be the transcripts, contain uh, notes indicating they were reviewed and classified by retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, who serves as the Chief of Staff on the National Security Council. So, I mean, I understand the frustration that you have here. I mean, these are these are classified documents there are documents that have been classified by the chief of staff on the National Security Council, and now you know they're they're out in public. I haven't had an opportunity to review the entire transcripts. I'm just looking at the Washington Post story, but but essentially, here's here, here's what they are. In his first conversation with the president of Mexico, they start talking about the, the wall, and um, President Trump is acknowledging that. Um, that the, the 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 wall is not the most significant issue between the two countries, and he he's saying, you know, look, I've got a political problem here. You've got he's saying this to the president of Mexico. You've got to stop saying publicly that your government's not going to pay for this. You cannot say that to the press. Trump said repeatedly, um, and he said, you know, if and he said that look, he realizes that that f- the funding will work out in a formula somehow. It will come out in the wash, and that is okay. But if you're going to say that Mexico is not going to pay for the wall, I don't want to meet with you guys anymore because I cannot live with that, um, that being the, the political implications of it. I, I don't know exactly why this was classified. Uh, it's more just kind of embarrassing to the Trump administration. Then apparently there's a very heated conversation between President Trump and the Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, um, again, uh, that, that go with, they're, they're talking about, um, in this case, an agreement on refugees. Apparently, at one point in the call, uh, President Trump says, I've had it, um, after they're arguing about an agreement on refugees. I've been making these calls all day, and this is the most unpleasant call all day. Um, and then he ends up kind of hanging up on the Australian Prime Minister. These... Uh, Okay, so I, I don't know what the larger significance of this is. I mean, if you want to look at it, uh, you want to look at it in the most cynical light, it, it's for a lot of us who've always thought that the building the wall was a non-issue and a non-starter and that expecting Mexico to pay for it would never happen, you could say that this is an acknowledgement that President Trump was kind of saying that in his first conversation, but just saying, stop stop making a point of this, you know, we'll, we'll make it work out. Um, the conversation with the Australian Prime Minister. Australia, of course, has always been, you know, our, one of our greatest allies. And I guess, you know, you could look at this and say, okay, this is Trump again, kind of not recognizing the significance of us having allies. So I, I, I get all that. It, to me, it's embar- it's embarrassing more than anything else. But the flip side is, I can understand why. Um, 
I can understand why the Trump administration gets frustrated by the continuing leaks of this type of information. Um, like I say, the, the Trump conversation with the Australian prime minister, it's, it's there, he's angry over a refugee deal. As far as I'm concerned, that is enough, Malcolm. I have, I have had it. Um, the prime minister tried to turn to Syria and other subjects, but Trump refused. Um, the call ended uh, 24 minutes after it started with Turnbull thanking the still-fuming Trump for his commitment. Um, uh, but again, it's an embarrassing type of thing. But I can understand why Trump is upset. I mean, if I was, if I had classified information, I was the president of the United States, or I was a CEO of a business, or whatever, and there was information that was not supposed to be made public because it was determined to be classified, and every time I turn around, somebody has leaked it to the press. I can understand why the president would be upset. I don't understand why this was necessarily classified in the first place, but um, my guess is that there's going to be more heads that are going to roll. All right, coming up, if you live in rural Wisconsin, this is a problem, and you're not getting any help from the federal government, at least so far. It's 11:15. Stick around. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Some say President Trump is too damaged to have a successful legislative agenda at this point. Others say he's making progress and isn't getting the credit he deserves. Is one more accurate than the other? John McCure in Wisconsin's Afternoon News explores that later today after the Brewers-Cardinals game. John is going to be live, as I am, from the State Fair, sponsored by our friends at the Amish Craftsman Guild. Okay, a lot of times we talk about urban issues on this program, but I know that there's a lot of people who are listeners that are impacted by issues that affect rural folks who live in the more rural areas. There was a decision in the, the other day from, uh, again, a federal court in Washington, D.C., that's going to impact on a number of you who live in some of the more rural areas of Wisconsin. A number of years ago, the, the gray wolf was put on the endangered species list. And as a result of that, um, you, they, they were protected, so farmers weren't allowed. There weren't wolf hunts. Um, farmers, just when you had wolves that would come into the area, if they attacked your, if you attacked your livestock, you just had to kind of live with that. And the idea was being because, you know, the gray wolves are being depleted as a population. So what, the, uh, what happened was the Fish and Wildlife Service there, there's different different areas have different number of wolves. So they put these wolves on the endangered species list. And they lumped Wisconsin in with Michigan in with a series of other states. Well, what's happened is the gray wolf population has made a huge recovery in Wisconsin to the point that they are becoming a nuisance. And to the point that not, and I say a nuisance, I mean a nuisance and a, and a danger as far as encroaching on uh, farmers' livestock and things like that. Well, what happened is recognizing that they, they had come back. They'd been protected for a number of years, and now they had made comebacks. What happened was the Fish and Wildlife Division said, okay, here's what we're going to do. In Wisconsin and a couple other states, we're go- because the population has come back, 
we are going to remove them from the endangered species list. And so back in 2012, um, Wisconsin started an annual wolf hunt that would help, again, thin out the, the, the herd, the population. Well, you had a bunch of environmentalists that sued in 2014 saying, well, no, you can't just look at Wisconsin. Uh, what you have to do is you have to look at the overall wolf population in order to decide whether or not you're going to allow people to hunt in Wisconsin. And a federal court f- agreed with them. And a couple days ago, a federal appeals court in Washington, D.C. agreed, saying, you're right, even though there's lots and lots of wolves in Wisconsin, even though the population has come back, we can't just consider what is going on in Wisconsin. We have to consider, oh, the, the population of wolves in other states as well in deciding whether to allow Wisconsin farmers to deal with this. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage um, talk and text line. Now, I understand if you live in the city of Milwaukee or something, this doesn't necessarily make any difference to you. If, however, you live in some of the more rural areas of the state and you have to deal with the increasing wolf population, this is a huge deal because as the wolf population grows... You know, wolves are are predators, and, you know, predators hunt. A lot of times what that means is that they go after, like I say, livestock on farms and things like that. And the way it stands right now is even though the population has made a comeback, you are not, you if you're a farmer, you're not allowed to help try to thin out the herd. You are not allowed, if you've got a wolf that is in the process of, I don't know, stalking your property and killing your livestock, you're, there's nothing that you can do right now because they still remain protected, even though there's plenty of them out there. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, Congressman Sean Duffy, who represents a lot of the, the part of the state that's really impacted on this, he's just absolutely outraged by this whole thing. He wants the Trump administration to appeal its ruling. He's saying our farmers deserve to be able to protect their livestock, and they shouldn't suffer because of decisions made by a handful of judges sitting in Washington, D.C., who don't understand anything about what is going on in rural Wisconsin. Nobody wants to see the species eliminated. But at the same time, if the species, in this case the gray wolf, if the population has grown to a point that it is now not really endangered, you know, shouldn't we be able, shouldn't we be able to have a wolf hunt? Shouldn't we be able to thin the herd? Shouldn't farmers be able to protect their livestock from attacking wolves? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the answer is just a clear yes. And I think, you know, the longer the longer this goes on, the worse the problem is going to get because these wolves are predators, and it is only a matter of time before, you know, something could potentially, you know, happen that's going to be, uh, again, um, that there's going to be, uh, I think, something bad that happens to either livestock or perhaps people. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1123. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
Approach 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, John in Pembine. John, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How are you? I am well. My producer did not believe that I knew where Pembine was, but I know you're right up by the Upper Peninsula. I am, yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, the reason I'm calling is, is that the the wolf population up here um, is not as great as maybe it is on the western part of the state. But that being said, there are wolves up here. I've seen them. Um, we've got a, a couple of small packs, and what I mean by that is maybe four, five, six at the most in a pack. I have talked to farmers, and I've talked to uh, persons who have livestock here. The, the concern isn't the wolves. The concern is the coyotes up here. Now, the coyote packs up here are large, 10, mm-hmm. 12, 14 in a pack. The wolves help keep those down uh, because you can't have two predators in one area. So right. wolves being wolves, they're going to take the coyotes out. However, I've seen wolves, a wolf pack of about a half dozen, take down a deer. Um, sure. And it was an old, it was an old, old doe, um, and that's what they do. They will take out, you know, the ones that are most susceptible. Sure. Uh, um, but I've never had uh, anybody tell me that, hey, we had wolves take down a, a calf or a goat or anything else. Mm-hmm. So it's not a real problem up here because the wolf packs are small. Um, so our biggest concern is the coyotes, and they are dangerous up here. They will well, come I, in and take out your dogs, and they will take out anything they can get. Yeah. So well, I John, don't thank, think uh, Well, I mean, I thanks for the call. I mean, dog, I, mean I, I, I understand, thank, and thanks for the call. I mean, I get the – look, I, I'm not a fan of coyotes either, and that's, I'm, that's one of my soapboxes down here. And, and I guess my only point to this is that – you have a, a population. People were not allowed to hunt wolves because it was an endangered population. The population has now come back to the point that they're no longer endangered. And yet what you have is a federal court that's saying, okay, even though it's fine in Wisconsin, even though you've got enough wolves, because there might not be enough wolves in some other state, we're not going to allow you to deal with the, the, the issue. Now, look, I'm not saying that, you, again, you, you have this hunt that, again, eliminates them. But the point is the wolf packs are growing, and they do pose a problem, I think, a lot particularly for farmers. Now, I don't know if right by the Upper Peninsula that's the case, but across the state it is an issue. Steve in De Pere. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. Yeah, I, think, I think they need to be harvested as well. I just heard from your gentleman in Pembine, and we deer hunt uh, probably 20 miles west of that, and there are wolves up there. You end up seeing more wolf tracks than you see deer tracks. It is right. getting to the point where, you know, the biologists look at it, they say it could be managed effectively with hunting and trapping. It should yeah. be based on wildlife and, you know, what yeah. you need to do to maintain an acceptable harvest and, and overall all the game population, not what some appeals judge decides who's not a biologist. Right, uh, who's based in Washington, D.C. No, thanks for the call, exactly. Steve. Uh, John, and, and see, and that's the big, I mean, okay, John and DePierre. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. John? Hello. Hi, John. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I just wanted to comment. My friends have lost three dogs their hunting dogs, the wolves, last year. And the, the wolf population, I'm, I'm up there 
half the time. I live in Green Bay now, but I'm up in northern Wisconsin a lot, and I have a lot of game cameras out. And we've had pictures of five wolves with one black bear on the same picture. What happens is um, there, there's been in central, north central part of the state, a, a uh, game farm lost five of their, their prize bucks that they had. The wolves dug under two um, fences to get to them. And right. what happens is the DNR does not broadcast this because they don't want everybody to panic. Yeah. I can, um, most, between me and my friends, we probably have anywhere from 60 to 100 cameras out, and we can we could prove that there's a way more wolves than what anybody's telling us. Yep, yep, yep. No, thanks, thanks for the call, John. And that looks, that's my point. I am not arguing that you should hunt and eliminate this population. The frustration here is you have a couple people sitting in Washington, D.C., who are deciding, all right, um, Wisconsin, you don't have a problem. People who have no clue about what is going on in northern Wisconsin simply saying, well, you know, we just, you know, we're concerned with the overall wolf population, which is a legitimate thing, so we don't think you should be able to delist uh, wolves in Wisconsin uh, because we might be worried about what's happening somewhere else in the country. Well, tell that to all the people who are having all the problems with the wolves in Wisconsin. It's 11.36, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the State Fair. My only defense is her husband was with her, so I don't think we have too much explaining to do. I, I was out talking to some people during the break, and um, um, Mary's husband said, okay, she listens to you every day, and she refers to you as her boyfriend. So will you sign something to Mary from her boyfriend? And I said, I'm delighted to do that as long as you are Mary's husband. So we all understand that. Now, if that comes back to haunt me a few years from now, you know, who knows? But uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And, again, if you're out at the State Fair, we're going to be broadcasting live uh, my show every weekday of the State Fair. I'm back noon to 12.30 till uh, 8.30 until noon tomorrow, and then each day next week, Scafidi and Billstad are out here tomorrow. John McCure will be out this afternoon after the Brewers game. The tradition continues. The bike riders are out again this year at Packers training camp, and one little girl has stolen the show. Watch the experience she had with her newest football friend in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. Okay, this is the point of the week. This segment on Thursday, we kind of put away the heavy lifting. We stopped talking about you know, politics and the most significant current events. We just have a little bit of, of fun. Um, I, I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about music. Sometimes we talk about movies. Uh, today I want to talk about something that we can all relate to, uh, television. I, the reason I, I was thinking about this is there's a, it's a CBS sitcom that I, I confess I have never watched. It's called Kevin Can Wait. And um, it, it's, a, it's a comedy. But what they're doing is apparently there's a, a woman, her name is Donna Gables, who plays the wife and mom on this show. And they've decided to... Um, uh, they've decided to... Th- that's, that's the name of the character. They've decided to dump her. <laughs> Add the dump the character, replace the woman who plays this character with someone else. And, you know, apparently the story is going to be that she kind of, like, like, passed away. And the reason they're doing this is that they think that the actress who they're going to bring on will relate better to the star. That, that's the idea. But you're going to have this character that's going to disappear. And it was interesting because as I was reading the story, the other night 
as I was channel surfing, I came upon that Seinfeld episode, and it's the one where, remember in Seinfeld, you had the Jason Alexander character, George, who was going to get married, and then he was going to marry a character named Susan, and in what was really kind of a weird and morbid twist, they, they killed her off. She apparently... George went out and bought cheap wedding invitations, and she was licking them, and she got poisoned. It was like a weird sort of story. And the, the reason they did it is apparently the rest of the cast didn't really like the woman that, that played this character, and so that they ended up getting rid of the character. But you had this character that was gone. And then, true story, the other day as I'm, again, channel surfing, I came across what I think is one of the best episodes of MASH, best but also very painful, the one where... Um, uh, McLean Stevenson, who played Henry Blake for the first three years, um, he was going to leave the show. He was going to star in his own TV show, so he decided to leave after three years, and they killed the character off. But just a, a beloved character, and I, I still remember when that show first aired and the impact that that, that had, because it's kind of the way that, that characters that you can relate to certain characters that are on TV. And there's a lot of times where you, you have a show and it'll run for various years, and you just say, wow, I mean, I just, you know, that, that character's gone, it's not the same show. So, you know, given that there's this series right now where you have people that are replacing characters, I thought it's for some fun. We're out here, it's the first day of State Fair. For Pop Culture Corner today, we all have watched television. We all have probably watched drama shows. We've probably all watched sitcoms. What I thought would be fun to do is just talk about some of the characters. So here's my question. What is, who is, what character is the most memorable TV character for you? It could be in a comedy. It could be in a drama. It could be a character that was the star. It could be a character that performed in a performing, in a supporting role. But what TV character, in your mind, is the single most memorable? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, we're out at the State Fair, so we're not live streaming this on Facebook this week as we typically do. But um, you can text us and you can call. 414-799-1620. What character is the most memorable? And my advice in these segments is, again, don't overthink. Typically what happens, go with your first instinct. That tends to be the best. All right, Scott Warris, producing the last portion of the show. He's back at the studio lining up the calls. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get into it. It's Pop Culture Corner, the most memorable TV character ever. 414-799-1620. It's Pop Culture Corner. It's 1141. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1143. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Thought we'd have a little bit of fun. Let's start with Tony on the northwest side. Tony, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Most Jeff. memorable character? Jeff, I miss J.R. Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he messed around with Cliff Barnes. That was the best. Uh, thanks for the call, Tony. Uh, Larry Hagman. You know, just, I mean, you want to talk about creating a memorable role, and that's another one. You know, the, the show Dallas, if, if you ever, if they sh- even show it in reruns nowadays, it seems kind of stilted and dated. It is impossible to describe how big a show that was when it was in its heyday. And, uh, yeah, Dallas without Larry Hagman, well, it would not have been Dallas. Brian in Brookfield. Brian, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I sure. uh, love watching MASH growing up. Yeah. And your character and, uh, would be? Uh, Hawkeye Pierce. Yeah. Um, Alan Alda just owned that role, didn't he? 
Yes, he did. He could uh, take a bad situation and turn it funny and be serious when he had to, but the whole cast, everyone from Klinger and Radar and everybody, they were just uh, memorable people. Yeah, there were. Thanks for the call, Brian. You know, it's interesting, you know, MASH, um, if you watch the movie MASH, you know, you've got Donald Sutherland who plays the um, the Hawkeye character, and you have Elliot Gould who plays the Trapper John character. I, I think when they originally cast Mash with uh, Wayne Rogers, who's going to be Hawkeye, and uh, Alan Alda, the idea was going to be it was going to be um, you know they'd be kind of co-equal characters. Alan Alda just just took that over and just dominated it. Dennis in Hartford, Dennis, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, the most memorable TV character ever would be? Kramer. <laughs> Cosmo Kramer. Boy, I'm telling you, Kramer. They don't, you know, I, I tape my episodes of Signs I'll even know. And, <laughs> uh, you know, of course, when you tape them, you know, they tell you the name of the episode. I think I've seen every one of them, but I still have this <laughs> backlog of 40-some, and I still watch them and enjoy them because of Kramer. Oh, that's it's yeah. No, thanks to I mean, you know, uh, Michael Richards was just tremendous. I was reading this. This is again, like it, maybe it's a sign of too much time on my hands, or I don't think that's the case. I was reading this thing on the making of Seinfeld, and you know, Michael Richards. One of the things would be he he would crack up the cast as they were like doing the show, and he he would he kept saying. You, you can't laugh because he said it's just it's so hard to do what I'm doing. And, you know, if you laugh, you know, you ruin it. we got to do it over again. And he's like, please, you know, just don't laugh. But he was just so darn funny. Um, let's talk to, uh, let's see, uh, Cheryl on the north side. Cheryl, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I, I'm at the State Fair. It doesn't get much better than that for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. The, be- the best, most memorable TV character would be? has to be Archie Bunker, Carol O'Connor. I mean, yeah. he, you say, owned that role. I don't believe there's anyone that could have portrayed that character better than Carol O'Connor. And it was, you know, it was it was groundbreaking television. Yes. I mean, there were subjects and topics that were dealt with by a bigot, you know, yeah. no less. And it was, you know, just unforgettable. Anybody that grew up in that era and watched that show would have to give him, you know, hands down. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, CBS, but before All in the Family, CBS was the, the, the network of the Beverly Hillbillies and yes. Green Acres and things like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're going to this something that was so completely different. And again, if, if somebody who, you know, wasn't alive at the time, if somebody who's 25 now goes back and watches one of the All in the Family shows, right now they'll say, okay, what, what's the big deal? But it was a big deal in the 70s. Yes, for sure. I mean, that was stuff. Those are hush hush topics. You only heard about those, you know, around the dinner table. Right. None of that was discussed openly, and you know, to bring it on television in your face. Right. You know, like that was just like I said, it was groundbreaking. It was like wow. No, never you're exactly this before. You're yeah. exactly right. No, thanks to the call, Cheryl. Plus, of course, Carol O'Connor, um, who, who played this this big at Archie Bunker. Carol O'Connor, classically trained actor. You know, and you you see him popping up in. If, if you watch old movies, you see all the different things that the guy was in and all the diverse sort of roles he had. And there, there, in real life, there wasn't you, you couldn't find somebody who was more diametrically apart from the role he played. Bill in Sockville. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good, mor- good morning. Most memorable TV character. Uh, one more thing, Jeff. Uh, I think it's Lieutenant Columbo. Oh, yeah, Peter Falk. I just... I think he was the first character who was super competent without seeming it. 
<laughs> right, that he had this off-putting style there. Yeah, no, it's uh, no thanks to call. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I remember like uh, Peter Falk again owned that role. And you're right; it was Lieutenant Columbo. Uh, they never ever went into his. Uh, they never ever gave his um, first name. Never, never gave his first name. Um, boy, we're just gotten all. We have all sorts of stuff on uh, our text line. Just absolutely exploded. Um, let's see, hands down, Tony Soprano. Um, yeah, that's. You know, James Gandolfini, the late James Gandolfini, that was another one who just absolutely owned that role. Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. The most memorable TV character would be? Andy Sipowitz. Oh, Dennis Franz, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Dennis Franz, excuse me, played that character. He was worth every Emmy. That Sipowitz was an onion. He was a bigot. He was a typical blue wall silence cop who lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his couple partners. He lost his son over the course of the show. But you never knew when the, the volcano that was Sipowitz was going to go off. And yep. nobody, in my opinion, nobody, in my opinion, emoted pain or anger the way Sipowitz did. Sipowitz could stand, sit at his desk with his arms folded, you just knew something was going to happen at some no. point in the episode. He's a great actor. Thanks for calling. He's a great actor, and it was a, a great character. Okay, let's see. Uh, Peggy Seagal as Gemma Teller. That would be on Sons of Anarchy. So different from her Married with Children role. Yeah, somebody else nominates when we're talking about characters. Um, Al Bundy on Married with Children. Well, that was a... That was definitely a memorable character. Deanna in Milwaukee text. It had to be the soup Nazi. Yeah, you got that going on as well. 414-799-1620. Sandy in Sheboygan. Sandy, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Oh, I definitely love Sheldon Cooper. Played oh. <laughs> that is unbelievable. What a character. Yeah, okay. So um, is that is that on your can't-miss-TV list, The Big Bang Theory? Yes, I watch... I can practically, and so can my kids, say the, the things on the rerun like we've watched them 150 times. <laughs> well, that's the, see, that's the great things about shows that have that kind of staying power that you just, even though you know what's going to happen, you still <laughs> like watching them. It's still entertaining. Absolutely. Now, Big Bang Theory is one of those. Hey, thanks for the call. Brian calling us from Wisconsin Rapids. Brian, good morning. Hey, one of the best actors that ever played a dim-witted character was Woody Harrelson and went on to make some of the best movies I've ever watched. He's also made some really bad movies, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of actors have. But yeah, right. I thought he was the funniest guy on Cheers, and, and I couldn't wait to see him on there. Yeah, I like. And thanks for. No, I. I. You're right. I. I like Cheers. Uh, I like Cheers a lot. Um, the Diane character, the Shelley Long character, didn't do a lot for me, but but Woody was great. And you're right. In fairness, Woody Har- Harrelson's been involved in some really good movies, and then he's been involved in some really bad movies. What was the one? Oh, it was where he played the the guy, the the guy uh, from Hustler magazine. Oh, that was just an almost unwatchable movie, at least in my opinion. Let's talk to Kenny in Slinger. Kenny, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's an absolute tie between Don Knotts from the Andy Griffith Show and Fred Sanford from Sanford and Son. Elizabeth, this is the big one. I'm coming to meet you, Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when her sister would come in with her Bible and her and Fred would go at it, I just get me in stitches. It, it is. And, and of course... Thanks for calling. Don Knotts, I mean, I think you can make a strong argument um, that, that Don Knotts, as Barney Fife, 
um, might be the greatest TV character ever created as well. Here's another one on our text line, Walter White from Breaking Bad. Yeah, AMC's been running a, a Breaking uh, Bad marathon, um, you know, where they show a bunch of them. And, um, you know, the Walter White character... That that was an amazing show, and it just it continues to it continues to hold up over time. Okay, we just our text line has exploded. Uh, James Best as Rocco, Roscoe P. Coltrane. Uh, that would be the Dukes of Hazard there. Um, let's see, Doris Roberts um, of Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, yeah, lots. That, that's the great thing about TV. You you find these memorable characters that that were out there, uh, and this isn't even we haven't even scratched the surface. You've got you know people like think about Andy Griffith, think about Dick Van Dyke. Think about Mary Tyler Moore if you want to go back to that time. You know, in a more contemporary fashion, again, the Tony Soprano would be a classic one. Walter White would be a classic one. Just so much great TV that's out there and so many great characters. 